0: Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borelessa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology, and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals, and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, But I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode.
1: Always be aware that people are listening and watching and paying attention sometimes when we don't think they are. Making sure that we are applying the right thinking to the right problem or the right decision that we're making. You can do everything right and because of some luck aspect of the situation, you just don't get the job. We know this from happiness research is this idea that, oh, when I get the job promotion, when I get yeah, exactly. this, then I will be happy. And that's not the case. Enjoy the journey. Welcome to Episode
0: 61 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. Our guest today is Kurt Nelson. Before we begin, I wanted to thank all the supporters of the podcast. We just passed 10,000 downloads. Please connect with me on LinkedIn and do let me know what you think of the content. Do subscribe, like and share does make such a difference. Now back to the show. Kurt is a sought after behavioral scientist and recognized leader in human motivation and behavior change. For over 25 years, he has worked with global companies to apply behavioral science principles to drive change in their organizations. He is founder and president of the Lantern Group, a communication and behavioral design agency which uses behavioral science insights to improve employee engagement and motivation. Additionally, they have created the Brain Shift Behavior Change Catalogue of Personal Products. He is also the co-founder with Tim Hulihan of the award-winning Behavioral Grooves podcast. Welcome, Kurt.
1: I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: And you're, you're joining us from sunny Minnesota, is that correct?
1: I'm actually joining you from yep, uh northern Minnesota, not even uh home. Uh we're up at uh up on the north shore of Lake Superior. So I'm in a like a cabin little retreat out in the woods. So fantastic. So Kurt, I'm I'm a big fan of the arts. Is there a performer song, book, or
0: film which you'd like to share with our listeners today?
1: I've been thinking about this because I could go I could go a lot. And <laughs> part of the podcast that uh I have we talk about music as well and we end it on music. So I like the starting on music piece. Um, I I would say, so uh, there's a lot of artists that I really love. Uh, One that I think has been kind of over the past few years, actually right before COVID and throughout COVID that I listened to a lot is uh, Seawolf. Uh, They're a band out of um, Los Angeles. They are an indie kind of act and they are just fantastic, so.
0: Cool. No, I've never heard of them. We'll definitely check it out. So, thanks, yeah. thanks for the recommendation. So, back back to the start. You earned an MBA from the University of Minnesota with a specialization in marketing. Um, why did you study that, and was there a particular strategy behind that?
1: Yeah, it was the University of Iowa. Just to make that sure. So it was. Okay. Uh, yeah.
0: um,
1: but uh, so it was interesting uh-huh. because I had got my undergraduate degree um, that was in economics and marketing. I started to work and realized that the job that I had, oh, it was, it was not good. So I ended up having an opportunity to go back literally with uh, about a year after graduating, after working for about a year and uh, just decided to do it. I'd always wanted to go back and get higher education. So that was one of the things that really drove me. And then the opportunity just uh, presented itself. And I was like, Ah, let's just go. And and I was really focused in on business. And so uh, looking at a different graduate kind of programs, and an MBA just seemed to fit with what I wanted to do.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And, and I like that part of the story about, you know, you, you were in a situation, it wasn't working out for you. And rather than staying and not being happy, you took action. And I think that's really important for our listeners out there is that, look, if you're in a situation which isn't working, look, not every situation is going to be great. Not every boss is going to be great. But what you need to do is take stock of the situation. And I'm not saying you should take action straight away, but you need to think, think about it, think through your options, almost have this decision tree.
1: No, I think, I think you've brought up a really good point and what. I think is really interesting about my situation that might apply to others is that pretty quickly, I realized that this job that I had wasn't a good fit. It was, I was a, I was a loan officer for a company that was a lender of last resort. So half of my job was giving people loans, but half of my job was collections and realized very quickly that, Um, Because I was doing so much of calling people and trying to get them to pay their bills and then going out at the end of the month and knocking on doors and actually asking people for money, that the people that came in for loans, I started viewing them differently. You know, we had 97% of people, 95% of people pay on time. Um, but I started viewing everybody as that 3 to 5% that didn't pay uh, and realized that that I didn't want that to kind of continue. It would jade who I was as a person. So to your point of thinking about the opportunities and taking that decision tree, and I had prepared myself so when the opportunity arose, I was able to jump on it. And, and I didn't have to think that much because I had gone through that process prior and had weighed the pros and cons. And I think that was really important.
0: And I, th- I think there's a really interesting point you bring up about how you, people view each other, because, you know, there, there are a lot of jobs where there's just downside, there's no upside. And in a way, I suppose, as a loans officer, you're almost going to be judged on the defaults um, and not the, the people who do well. And, and then you have all these Behavioral biases which come into it, and you're thinking, oh, past history is going to inform future history, and and you know, we could, I suppose, we could talk hours about that. But but I suppose also, if you're working in an organisation, there are jobs, say, in risk control or accounting or the middle office, because I, I I'm from a banking uh, and finance background, and yeah, but luckily I was in the front office, so I was doing the deals rather than. Uh, sort of like recording them. But when when you're talking to people, say, in the sort of the middle and the back office, you have to sort of empathize with their situation, because it's all downside. And there's not a lot of upside in a way from saying yes. So it's about trying to understand, empathize. Um, I'm I'm sure that must have come across in
1: the stuff that you were doing. It was, I mean, a huge, huge part of that, right, is trying to understand uh the position and wh- what people are doing and i think it's what ultimately it was one of the pieces that i kind of innately fell into that i that i liked to to kind of understand what was going on i think that led to me going back eventually to get my phd in industrial organizational psychology and trying to understand why people behave why they think the way they do but to your point you it's, it's very difficult for people. As much as we like to say we can get into somebody else's shoes, it is very, very difficult for us to do that. We have uh, the fundamental attribution error, which is a bias that we um, pretty much most of us have at, at some point, is this idea that we attribute different motivations and different um, causalities for people's behavior and their actions than we do to our own. Um, we typically put ourselves in a, in a pretty good light and we don't do that so much for others. And so i um, trying to actually have that empathy for those people in the back room for the other aspects. As much as we like to think that we do a good job, uh, we can do a much better job because we have some just fundamental um, brain elements that kind of keep us from doing that really well. I know, brilliant.
0: And and in terms of you know, um, going off on your own and founding the Lantern Group, what led you to that, um, Kurt? Why did you get down <laughs> so, that
1: it, it is. It's an interesting piece. And and now that I'm kind of bringing this up, it kind of has some correlations to you know going back to get my MBA. So I was working for a company, and uh, so I got my MBA. moved up to Minnesota from there. I don't know this for a fact, but I am ninety nine point nine percent sure I was the lowest paid MBA graduate of my class. All right. So I was on the bottom, bottom, <laughs> bottom of that payroll um, because I joined a company because I thought they were going to be doing all this consulting and this really cool work of you know performance improvement with organizations. And my job, I was a marketing coordinator. So I was basically making copies and running stuff around and doing all sorts of of other things. And then I kind of uh, got promoted. Luckily for me, I was able to get into a kind of sneak myself into another group that was doing all the strategic work. So there was a small group within this company that I worked on. It was called um, a consulting group. It was with a bunch of PhDs and who were doing all this really cool strategic work with senior leaders which is what i had actually kind of signed up for but that took about a year and a half to 2 years in this job and then for the final 3 years uh, as i was talking with one of the people there you know i'm like going i just i see this pathway and it's a good pathway but it's a long pathway you know 10 15 years to get up to a vp um, direct senior director type level and there was this little opportunity, again, a kind of plan that said, oh, I could just go off and do my own thing. I don't know where that will lead, but it seems like it might be a more fun path. And because I wasn't making that much, I realized that I could probably just get a job at McDonald's if everything else failed and still pay my rent because I didn't have a fancy car. I didn't have a fancy apartment. So I'm like, oh, I can I can cover my bills with a minimum wage paying job. So. Uh, from the risk perspective, it wasn't that big for me, and so I was able to take that that leap.
0: I love those points you make. Um, I suppose, one, the fact that you you looked at the landscape and you saw, look, what you're doing isn't really working out. Therefore, you sort of tried to figure out what the interesting departments are within your company. And I remember when I was a, a lowly a graduate student, I was at uh, EY um and i was on the audit side and i wasn't particularly interested in that but then i thought rather than just leaving look around for more interesting opportunities and i ma- managed to find that so i think that's a good lesson for people out there if you are stuck in a situation look around internally because at least you've done a lot of the hard work by getting through the front door but then the second point about you know what are the downsides of of the of the situation of say leaving um if you do leave and and you don't have a a fancy lifestyle then actually the opportunity cost isn't that great so you know, yeah you can almost take on more risk rather than less
1: to the point of like looking around inside the organization if you're not if they're feeling at your current role isn't a fit um, I was very lucky because I found a mentor um, and, and luck and again this is another piece of, of behavioral science right is this uh, they ended up they I found them because they sat in the cube next to me. They were the different department, different (laughs) division, but they sat in the cube next to me and they heard me and they uh, overheard how I interacted with customers and different things. And we, we formed a friendship and what I ended up doing, which I, I don't know every company would allow this, but I started going on these projects with this mentor of mine, even though I was still having my old job. So I was doing two jobs getting paid for you know this other one (laughs) and i did that for at least six months before i actually transitioned over to being an employee of that group so a really interesting process for how that worked for me
0: And, and and i think there's a great point there that you never know one who is listening you you never know also by being nice to somebody what where that can lead you um and i definitely think if i look back in my career um, I mean, sure, look, I've, I've got some qualifications, etc, uh, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But I think it's by building relationships and trying to be nice to people. I mean, not, not in a forced sort of way. But if you're just yourself and you're authentic, you'll come across people who like you, who want to help you. Maybe they see something of themselves in you. Um, and they want to give you a break. And And you just yeah. never know, do you?
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's exactly the case. And then this, there wasn't a grand plan when I started to take on these projects. It was just, this was fascinating. This was interesting piece. And, you know, Fred, who was the, the mentor that I had, uh, was kind enough to offer them. And I'm like, I'm jumping on this chance because this seems fascinating. This seems like what I want to do. Um, and to your point, it all came about, because he saw something in, in me, probably from overhearing me with other people in the conversations. And so uh, always be aware that people are listening and watching and paying, paying attention, sometimes when we don't think they are.
0: Well, no, no I just love that. Now, the, moving on to behavioral science. So can yes. you explain to our listeners, what is behavioral science? I, I know this is a difficult question, because we could talk for hours. But you know, we could. You're, the, you're the expert. Uh yeah, cut.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so behavioral science, the the way that I, I define it, and, and I think there's probably other definitions out there, but I think this is this is one that is is pretty simple. And so it is a mixture of many of the social sciences, any of the social sciences that look at human behavior. So in other words, any of uh, psychology, sociology, social psychology. Um, economics, behavioral economics, any of those that are trying to understand and study why we do what we do. And behavioral science has, is a overarching component which looks at all of the different research from those different fields and tries to bring it together to, again, talk about why we do what we do. And that, I think, is the really fascinating piece, at least for from my perspective, both from work but also, from a you know just an interpersonal relationship and trying to understand myself and why I behave the way I do, why does my spouse behave the way that she does? why do my kids behave the way they do that that one i I, I don't understand <laughs> all right that's that's beyond me but then it's it goes into work as trying to understand how do our employees work and behave, how do our peers what can we do to influence them? customers and, and all of those factors. So that's, that's the way that I look at behavioral science and it's not the most scientific de- definition, but it's one that I think works for most people.
0: So, so Kurt, if, if, if I spoke to your wife, would she give you a glaring reference that you're a much better husband after all the years
1: of behavioral science? <laughs> My kids will, will go, uh, Papa, are you using that psychology stuff on <laughs> us again? And it's like, uh, you caught me, you caught me. So, um, yeah, I think uh, on those close relationships. It, it's it's harder, and and I will. I always tell people this too: is that the psychology that I studied is industrial organizational psychology. So I'm not the psychologist that uh, is trying to have you on a couch and and <laughs> un- uncover all of the uh, elements of your your Childhood. siblings and and parent relationships to find out what's wrong with you. I I have no clue. I mean, I took a course or two in that, but that's it. I look at how how large organizations uh, imp- implement uh, programs and how that drives uh, behavior change at the larger level. So that's that's where my my focus is.
0: Yeah, but I, I love that answer and, and the whole idea about trying to understand why we do what we do, because that's actually how I became interested in this area, Kurt. Um, and it all started from decision making and looking at yeah, Daniel Kahneman and 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 various things about you know system one, system two, trying to improve your decision making. And I feel that if you can figure out what your base level of being is, then uh, you think, okay, there are things that you're, you're what what you know, we're good at. There are things that we're not so good at. And then if you think about the things we're good at, then maybe you don't need to think too much. Uh, a lot of decision making can come instinctually. So say on this podcast. Um, hopefully I'm not thinking too much when I'm interviewing you. So that comes hopefully naturally. But then there are other things. Say if I'm going to make a decision about buying a stock, you need to yeah. think a bit more about that. Um, and then say if there's a, a particular skill that you're doing, maybe some people are very good at Excel spreadsheets. Some people aren't so good. So it's really thinking about what you're good at, what you're not so good at. In the areas maybe where you're not so good, think about you know how you can... Uh, reduce the risk or minimize the chances of going wrong? Um, And also maybe say in uh, client meetings, do you have to prepare more? Do you have to, you know, should you be more natural? Should you be less natural? Um, I think that's a a really fascinating thing about, you know, behavioral science, neuroscience, psychology. It's really being honest about uh, what your strengths and skills are and then trying to uh, uh, apply techniques to help
1: you. Yeah, I think that's a really um, good kind of way of looking at this. So there's a couple things that I want to dig into. So you brought up Daniel Kahneman thinking uh, fast and slow in his system one, system two. And again, for the the listeners who may not know that system one thinking is our quick automatic kind of in the moment thinking we hear a horn as we're crossing the street i don't want to have to stop and think oh it's a horn what do i do do i do, you know no i jump i move out of the way right that that's that that automatic piece of it system two thinking is our more deliberate uh, thoughtful as you said picking a stock i don't want to just pick a stock because oh i like the i like the call letters those are cool all right here we go um Although sometimes my stocks, that might work better. Um, but that's that's beside the point. But when we think about that, there is uh, – oftentimes I think people get confused and saying, oh, we need to do more system two thinking. And I think what you're saying is is – and and I think this is aligned with what you're saying, but it's not so much in making sure that we're doing more system two thinking. It's making sure that we are applying the right thinking to the right problem or the right decision that we're making. So as you mentioned in this podcast, you don't want to be thinking too much about the questions that you're doing. You need to have that. That's not how we have a natural conversation. And so you want to apply the right type of thinking in the right situation. And where we get into issues, is, and particularly systematic issues is where we often do the wrong type of thinking for the wrong type of decision or the wrong type of problem. And so that, I think, is is a key piece of this. The other piece that you talked about is this aspect of knowing what you do good and then, you know, kind of doubling down on those and trying to limit the the negative aspects of those things that you may not do so good. If you can do that, that is fantastic. One of the problems is that we tend to have blinders on (laughs) about our own ability. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite studies is, and they've done this, repeated this multiple times, is they ask people, how good of a driver are you? And like 95% of us say we're better than average, which statistically can't be true. And of those, I believe there's like, 40 or 50% say that I'm in the top 10% of drivers. So when you look at that, uh, we don't, we can't, we don't evaluate our own abilities as well as, um, we probably could and danny kahneman said one of the you know best things i think ever and he's talking about all these different biases and heuristics that we have and somebody asked him well you know about all these you've, you've actually found out and researched all of these so you must be really good at avoiding them and he said no i'm not i'm human just like everybody else and i i have the same exact biases and yeah the knowledge of them the awareness of them might help a little bit but doesn't it just because you know them doesn't mean that you're going to be immune against them.
0: Yeah no I think that that's a great point that being being aware of these things isn't isn't the sort of the the cure but I do think that uh thinking about them and thinking where you might go wrong um does I think help a, a little to try and avoid the bigger problems or you
1: know, I would that. agree with you 100% and I would I, I think where I would go too One of the things is that we have these blind spots on our own self. And so um, instead of trying to do an introspective look at what you do well and maybe what you don't do so well, and, you know, again, I think on on both ends of those things, those things that we kind of do middling, I think we are better at actually assessing our own skill set. But on the other two ends of that, uh, it's good to get trusted people that are close to you to help you understand, you know, you always do this, Kurt, when you're in this situation, and I don't even realize that I'm doing that. Right, a, a close friend or a coworker, uh, and the hard part is is finding somebody that you're going to be able to um, hear that information from, because we don't like hearing those things.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, I love, I love that point. Now. Sort of going on to um, say the job search and the career development sort of process, Kurt. Now, obviously, these are tough times for people, um, a lot of layoffs. Now, if, if our listeners are, are struggling in their job search, are there any sort of thoughts you have or techniques that can maybe help motivate us in our um, sort of job search?
1: Yeah, so motivation, I think, is a really interesting piece. That's what my dissertation dissertation was on, and very certainly not on a job search, but just uh, motivation and and the incentives piece on that. But beyond that, I think what's really interesting in a job search is that a job search can feel overwhelming, right? It is the big the big goal at the end is this job, which is a pretty big goal, and that journey to get to that goal can be really long. And what we know about motivation is that that big goal can be really inspirational at the beginning and really inspirational when we get close to the end of it. But it it wanes in its motivational ability in the middle. And it's called the problem of the middle. So we start off, all right, January 1, I'm going to get a new job. I want to get a new job. You're all excited. January 15th comes and then February comes and then March comes. And it's like by that time just feels daunting and I'm weighed down and I haven't gotten, you know, the interviews I wanted and various different things. And so part of what you can do from a motivational perspective is to figure out how can I break that big journey down into milestone steps? And so what are the things I need to do? And instead of looking at that bogey of the job as the end result, I have these steps in the process that I can then uh, get excited about. Oh, I I sent out 10 resumes, I I got one uh, interview call, I did, you know, all of those milestones, because those are these small little pieces that keep our motivation up. And one of the other pieces that I want to talk about is just that we are motivated by a sense of progress. And so even if we feel like we are moving just forward a little bit, right, just a little bit, that is much more motivational for us than being kind of stagnant or going in decline. Again, as we look at different pieces of, of what we need to do, try to always really focus and frame yourself on those positives and various different pieces. And then one last hint on this is again, at that progress piece as we're, as we're looking at this, one of the things that we can do is, is we find really motivational streaks is keeping a streak going. So If you have something that you need to do every workday, you know, I want to send out uh, one resume a day and don't make it too big. Don't make it so it's over daunting. Make it so it's actually pretty achievable, but it will help you move to where you need to go. And then you just keep that streak going. Now, with a caveat on that is I usually (laughs) would give myself a a cheat day or a day off so that you don't get what's called the what the hell effect This like, oh, I went two weeks and sending out a resume every day. And now I miss this Monday. Oh, what the hell? I'm just going to give up on it. No. All right. Well, that was the one day that I got off. Now I need to make sure that I make sure that I'm doing that for another, you know, two weeks till the next month because I get one day off a month or something like that or whatever that, that little limit is to say I get a free shot, a free roll and to be able to do it again.
0: No, I just love those points you're making. And I think sometimes maybe even have a spreadsheet so you can visualize that streak, um, you know, and break it down into, I said, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I sent a connection request or yes. I sent an email or whatever it is. Cause I do yeah. think that having that visualization and even for the podcast, when I'm putting, you know, my recording schedule together, I have all the previous ones that I've done. So <laughs> it looks like, you know, I can actually do this even though yeah. I'm episode 61. I, and I'm sure it's the same thing with you. Every episode you come, come to you think, can I really do this? How yeah. have I got Annie Duke on my podcast? You know yeah, same sort of thing so and and in a way, it's that like beginner's mentality that you're always thinking I'd need to do my best and always be like an intern right from the beginning
1: yeah, you you bring up a really good point is the visualization of that streak is really important. and so one of the things I've talked to people about is like doing uh, have a calendar. Uh, Even just a paper calendar and mark off X or do a checkbox on different things. I love the spreadsheet idea. I love anything that is there. There is something about tactile um, kind of using your hand with a pen and paper that uh, engages your brain differently than just on a keyboard. So if you can do if you like that, do that. Um, But again, whatever way that you can visually kind of see that progress and, and make sure that streak doesn't get unbroken. You know, it's that old Fleetwood Mac song, the chain, right? You know, don't break the chain that you don't want to break the chain. So, yeah.
0: And I do think that failure and setback is is unfortunately just part of life. Now, I, I don't know if I've told you this, but I'm originally from a, a sporting background. So I played a lot of sport when I was young. And technically, I'm a professional athlete with a very short career. Um, I played cricket and I got p- <laughs> play, paid for one match. I, yeah, <laughs> sorry. The reason why I say that is that cricket is very, it's very similar to baseball in the sense that if you're a batter, if you sort of succeeding one in every three, that's actually a really good career. But then if you think about it, you're failing 60 to 70% of the time. now in your job search, you could be easily getting those numbers because all you need is the one job, but you could get, you know, people don't respond to you. They don't respond to your CVs. And it's almost like you have to sort of bend reality and say, okay, I'm progressing but um, it's not actually coming through in the the numbers. Um, and I, I saw that post you did about Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how he talks about sort of failure and, you know, things just not working out at a point in time. And I think sometimes it's about the journey. And you almost need to sort of reframe things and say to yourself, look, um, sure, that uh, interview may not have gone well or I may not have got that. Um, feedback that I wanted but I am still making forward progress
1: and you bring up a really good point in this the the emotional toll that a that a rejection has is again it's 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 an element Danny Kahneman uh, along with his uh former research partner Amos Tversky brought a loss aversion and, and that rejection is a loss, right? We had this, this idea, even if it was just an idea that I was going to get this job, now that job is lost, it's gone. And that pain is, is double what kind of the, that equivalent of a a similar gain would be. And so every time we get a rejection, that loss really hurts. Um, And there's, there's some research out there that again, if, if we're going on this, uh, we, Post this podcast out. Right. And you get a number of your listeners writing great. Re- hey, great podcast. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And then one person goes, ah, eh, it was it was all right. You kind of loved up here. Where do we focus? Right. We don't focus on those three, four people that were like, oh, this is a great podcast. We focus on that one that says, oh, my gosh, I, we flubbed up. And then you, we yeah. ruminate about that. And that's the same thing in a job search. We don't think about, you know, I got that connection on LinkedIn and they connected. And now I'm going to have an informational interview with them. And now I'm going to do this. I, It's the one where, oh, I sent that I had an interview and now they, they said, I'm not moving forward. And it's like, oh, that feels really. Good. So reframing that and kind of looking at the journey and like, what are these mini steps that I'm doing that I can be successful on, hopefully can help alleviate that. It's not going to take it away, but it can help alleviate that. And again, that the, you know, the, the Greek freak and his kind of, you know, answer to uh, really dumb question in my mind. Uh, like, Are you a failure because you didn't win? It's like <clears throat> they won more games than any other NBA team this year. And you know what? It's a game that has, you, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. And and just depends on the day often. And you can play your best, but the other team is just better that day um and that can be the case in a job search you can be really well qualified but there's just somebody else that just has a little bit better qualifications than you doesn't mean that you're not a good fit it's just there's maybe somebody else that was better for that that particular job
0: and and, and i love this point you you brought up about the emotional toll because i do think that that is very powerful that uh, failing is not nice. And sometimes I think, you know, it, it, you've got people who do fantastically well in their academic career because that is simply about, okay, I'm going to learn a bunch of stuff and if I do the work, I'll get the passing grade or the top grade or, or whatever it is. Um, and I suppose through academia, it's a lot fairer. Whereas I think in the job world, it, it unfortunately, there are all these um, people have different perceptions There are biases maybe they're unconscious, but people do have them. Maybe you walk into an interview and your tie is askew and somebody will immediately say that guy's a slack or girl is a slack person. So you really have to think, how can I bounce back um, from that failure and that emotional toll? And I think the worst thing is to stop applying or to stop interviewing.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and again, many of these factors are outside of our control. (laughs) they might look at you and you remind them of, you know, an ex they had a horrible breakup <laughs> with. And they don't even like consciously realize it, but they're like, oh, I don't like this person because, <laughs> you know, they they unconsciously <laughs> remind me of that. So uh, there's a number of factors that come into play. And as much as we like to remove those, um, th- they just don't happen. We're human. And, and And as being a human, we have all of these Um, flaws within our our decision making and reasoning ability and that happens with the people who are hiring us as well Um, you know one of my favorite is the in in kind of a hiring situation it was I think the Philadelphia Orchestra who started to do blind uh, uh, auditions auditions because they put them behind a curtain and what they realize is they hired many more uh, women and minorities than what they did before because they have a perception, social, um, you know, cultural, whatever it would be. And our expectations play into exactly what we hear um, or what we see and how we interpret that. And so it's hard to separate those two. And so by taking some of those things away, you can do that. But that just goes to show, as you said, You can do everything right. And because of some luck aspect of the situation, bad luck in in many of those pieces, right? You just don't get the job. But that shouldn't dissuade you. It just means I just have to keep law of averages, right? If I keep putting things out there, if I keep trying, sometimes that luck will be bad. Sometimes that luck will... Maybe I remind somebody of their father or their, you know, whoever it is that they just adore... Uh, that mentor that they had when they were young. And it's like, oh, and you might not even be the best candidate, but because you remind them, you could get it. So those all those factors come to play.
0: And and one, one bizarre personal sort of story, Kurt, is that when I, when I was interviewing for my first graduate job, I was having a terrible run. I thought I you know, had the qualifications. I thought I was interviewing quite well. And then essentially I had pretty much my last opportunity with one of the big uh, accounting firms. And simply, uh, I started speaking to the person who was going to interview me. And I started speaking about classical music. And I really know nothing about it. But I knew a bit more than her. And she thought I was a genius at this. And then that completely changed the perception. Because rather than being some sort of hierarchical difference of she was the expert, I was a novice. It was completely reversed. Um, And then when, when we went for the interview, it was a breeze and I got the job Um, obviously I had to go through some other interviews but it just it does show that these very small bits of luck you know you could have bad luck but then it can so easily turn without any conscious uh effort on your part
1: yeah and Harsha I bring it you, you bring up a really interesting point it was this uh tangential conversation right yeah. I don't think she was asking you about <laughs> classical music as part of the job interview per se it was just a you know, some side conversation that you're having. And one of the things that I've, I coach my kids and and um, the young employees that work for me is like, run your interests, just be curious about different things. And it, it doesn't mean that you have to become an expert in them, but it makes you more interesting. And to that point, you might find something classical music or, you know, horse racing or, you know, whatever it would be that all of a sudden, you know, and, Aeronautics. I don't know what it would be, but you can, you know, f- expand your horizons. And you know, I always talk about this, in, when we talk with business organizations about creativity, you know, read journals or magazines that you wouldn't do. Go out and view, you know, different um, YouTube channels of of things that you know are like, why would I watch something on sea turtles or whatever it would be? But because you do that, it allows you to bring in these different references. And again, people perceive you in various different ways. And if you can have a connection, whether that be about classical music, whether that be about um, fly fishing, whatever that would be, and however small, it shifts that perception.
0: I just love that point, Kurt. And and, and actually, the um, yeah, if you can think um, different ways about different topics, then yeah, it does add a, a real richness to uh, a conversation or, or something like that. But um, now sort of moving on to the uh, interview scenario, Kurt, is there any way there where um, you can use behavioral science or psychology to help put you in a a more favorable uh, light with the interviewer?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple, just a couple things. So we already talked about one. One is being uh, this idea that if you can find a connection with them. People uh, really like people that are similar. We have a similar background. Anything that you can draw to have a positive connection is a good thing. So that's a really positive. Anything to connect you with that other person, they're going to see you in a different light and that will be signed more positively for you. The other one I want to talk about is the pratfall effect. Pratfall effect actually Uh, research at the University of Minnesota in the 60s. But basically it says uh, they they gave people two scenarios very similar. Interview, you know, this person did this interview. They were really highly qualified, all this. And same exact stuff, except for at the end, the one person in in scenario B spilled coffee. And they spilled coffee over the desk and it was all this mistake. And so they made a mistake. Um, And actually when people looked at those people, they liked the person who spilled the coffee more than the other person. Uh, it made them human and it, it allowed them to be um, seen as more likable, more more warm. Warmth is another really thing. Anything that you can do to kind of show people that, that you are a true person. So oftentimes people get hung up. Uh, like I made a small mistake. I fumbled the first question or different pieces. That's okay because people will Um, they might actually um, feel you're more human in that way. And so reframe that uh, if you do have something like that as the pratfall effect, and it could be a positive, then you don't ruminate over it so much.
0: No, I I just love that. Now, say if you're lucky enough to get the job, are there any ways in which behavioral science can help build influence within um, a new company or a new organization?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a ton. We could go on for this for hours and hours and hours. Um, A couple... (laughs) A couple key things, I think, um, just as you're doing, again, it's understanding why people behave the way they do and think the way they do. And so as we're thinking about influence, right, and and, and how that works, one of my favorite authors is Robert Cialdini, uh, and he wrote a great book called Influence. So if you haven't, you know, I, I highly recommend you going out and reading that. But one of the components that he talks about from an influence perspective is reciprocity, this idea that I do a favor for you, you feel like, you know, unconsciously to a certain degree, like you need to, uh, you know, give back that favor. And so there's an element of of reciprocity that you can bring in. So what can you do for people? I mean, even just small things, and I'm not saying be conniving about this, (laughs) but what are those ways that you can go and help somebody in their job offer to do things that will help them assist them. And and so I think those are really important. I will say, um, and we talked with Linda Babcock, who's from uh, Carnegie Mellon, uh, and and women tend to do a lot more of these things and often what are at unpromotable tasks, like setting up the company picnic and doing different things like that. Um, And so be aware, particularly if you're female, um, not to just be... Doing these unpromotable tasks that, from a reciprocity perspective, but make sure that you're doing things that are going to actually garner uh, something that can move you forward. But you're helping somebody else. That's one way of of uh, doing that. And again, like I said, if you want to go on, we can talk about that more and more and more. So,
0: no, but but I do love that point you make about um, women tend tending to do these unpromotable things because. You know, the majority of my listeners, and this is more from anecdotal evidence, are women. And and clearly, I think that's uh, important, I I would say, for them to know that, that be mindful. I mean, obviously, be nice, be a good person, be authentic. But I do think sometimes men understand the, the, the games that are being played. So I do think, in a way, women hopefully should, you know, once they see that there's this, Evidence there from your guests and and also anecdotal data, evidence out there, they should be more mindful about how they use their energies. Um, and I do think it, it's 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 a, it's a question of fairness because yeah, why should they be expected to um, do those tasks and not be rewarded? But also understanding the game that is being played. Um,
1: oh no, I think you're absolutely right. Understanding in this instance and and putting processes in place for yourself so one of the things that the that Linda talked about is that if you're in a meeting right and it's like oh we have the you know the holiday party coming up um, who wants to volunteer men hold back and women raise their hands right away so one of the things you can do is just say I'm gonna wait and if you wait then men are more likely to do it. But what ends up happening is, is men hold back more and women, you know, kind of feel more, I don't know if they feel more obligated, or they've been socialized into raising their hand first in different pieces, but, you know, just give yourself that 30 seconds to say, I'm not going to raise my hand. Um, and, and even if, you know, there there are kind of little tips like that, that you can do. Uh, and then for, if you're a, if you're a male in a leadership position, um, you know, don't ask for volunteers. Kind of rotate volunteers. That's yeah. another way of of just doing that. That's a that's a big piece of that as well. It's like it's not uh, just a woman, you know problem that they have to solve. It's a problem that that uh, us males have to solve as well. So,
0: yeah, because because also if you're a manager, what what you should be thinking is, look, I've got a, you know, a good team here. Do I really want to waste the best and, and you know, yeah. the best people doing these tasks? Which okay, they're important. But they they shouldn't be burdened by one particular gender or one particular group. They should be spread around fairly. Um, So just from an economic perspective, and I I think with this whole diversity thing, clearly there's an element of fairness, but also it's about doing what's right for the company. And I'm amazed that so many companies don't do the right thing um, when it's so obvious that they should. Um, and it yeah. just and I think fixing the problem is far worse than trying to be on the front foot and trying to be proactive.
1: Oh, exactly. And to that point, the fixing the problem, right? It, you disengage those women, and and there's lots of research that shows, you know, um, as if you look at leadership and and the number of women versus the number of men in senior leadership positions, it's less, and partly that is because. Hey, my time, I, I'm on this committee on, you know, this task force, I'm doing this volunteer piece, whereas my peer yep. isn't doing any of that, that yep. takes up six, seven hours of my, uh, you know, my week, or even if it's just a month, that's six or seven hours, you, you extrapolate <laughs> that over a course of a career. And that can be a lot of work, um, and, and a lot of promotional elements that, that don't happen because of that. And to your point, let's make this a meritosity. We want the best people to be in those positions and not just the people that, you know, ended up not having to take on those additional um, tasks that are important. You know what? Having a holiday party and doing the committee work on, you know, the new regulations for whatever it would be are important for an organization. And so you want that. And actually, it's a great piece if you look at this too is saying, how can we make those more uh, appealing to everybody as how can we have that work be significant in your uh, annual review? Evaluation,
0: yeah. So
1: make them more promotional type activities than non for, you know, the holiday party piece doesn't get talked about in your annual review. Maybe it should.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I and I think I suppose for, for leaders, as we're talking about, do you think about the bigger picture, Do you think about how you're impacting your staff? Because you you set the tone, uh, don't you?
1: Yeah, you do set the tone. And one of the things, uh, again, as a leader, uh, we often forget is that our moves are often the way that we talk about something, the way that we uh, encounter a situation, uh, we are in a spotlight. Right. So the spotlight effect is something where most of the time we think we're in the spotlight when, in fact, most people aren't paying any attention. They're focused in on themselves. Right. They're they're doing their own spotlight on themselves, not on you. So like that, that tie that's askew that you talked about at the beginning, most people don't even notice that. Right. All right. I noticed it as old crap. I was off and now I'm really self-conscious. But if you're a leader. Um, and particularly in those situations where you're talking about something that might have material impact for people, then everything that you do gets under that microscope or is in that spotlight. So if I'm talking about something and I offhandedly mention, oh, well, you know, we might have to lay people off then um, if that happens. Well, you're thinking it's a joke and it, everybody below you is like now they're worried about layoffs, and so be really conscious of of as a any type of your leadership position, your actions, your words, you know, rolling your eyes when somebody talks, yeah. you know, all of that body language, all of those factors are important.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love that point, and you're you're paid the big bucks because you have to deal with this. Um, yeah. Okay, it may not be fair that people misinterpret actions or words or if you're in Boston and you say that you're a Lakers fan I mean clearly <laughs> that's not going to work no but but you 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 have to understand your audience and you know some of these leaders get paid awfully well um for, and I'm not saying they don't work hard but it's not really commensurate with the work that they're doing it's it's really dealing with the the massive problem yeah you know, if there's a, a fire or, or yeah the real firefighting that's when the the real skill of the leader yeah. happens. So yeah, I I totally agree with that. So, Kurt, look, um, we're coming to the end of our time. And and clearly, look, I'd like to give you a chance to maybe talk a little bit more about the work that you do. And I, I know that you're producing these um tools to help people to improve their productivity or how how they're getting on in their lives.
1: Yeah, so that's the brain shift. It's a it's new. We we just started doing these last year as, as kind of these elements and, and our main kind of core flagship product is the Brainshift Journal, uh, which is a 13-week guided journal based on behavioral science. So we take all these things of trying to understand why we do what we do, Uh, and build it in so that you can uh, achieve the goals that you set for yourself. So there's an area to fill in your keystone goals, which are those big goals, aspirational goals of getting a job, right? I can fill in getting my job. And now I can work through what I can do over the next 13 weeks in order to get that job. And then every day I can have prompts and they're, they're unique prompts every week. And there's behavioral science principles that go along with each week. So we have 13 different behavioral science principles we teach you about every day has three to four prompts that uh, guide you through that day and help you achieve those goals and stay positive. We have gratitude components in there. We have elements about, you know, setting up habits and routines. We have elements on bringing other behavioral science aspects into it. In addition to that, there's some smaller guides that are, you know, you can do to how do I set up goals? So how do I create a good goal? That's, a you know, the first piece is like making sure that the goal we set is is good. And then how do I break that goal down appropriately to set those milestones? And so we have, that's called goal shift. And those are just electronic packets you can download. And we're going to bring to market in the next six months, many more of those so that uh, we found really positive feedback from from those, from the people that have used it. So.
0: Brilliant. Um, And Kent, how can people um, get in touch with you? Because I know you you obviously have a website, you're on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, things that obviously all of this will be in the show notes.
1: Easiest way is that you can go out to uh, lanterngroup.com, www.lanterngroup.com. There's a connect uh, button down below. If you want to reach out to me directly, I'm on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, You can find me just search Kirk W. Nelson on LinkedIn and, Twitter is what motivates. Um, at what motivates, or at behavioral uh, motivation guru, not not behavioral group motivation guru, um, are two Twitter handles I have. The podcast, the podcast yes. that I do along with Tim is called Behavioral Grooves. Um, and again, we just we interview behavioral scientists, um, researchers, and and practitioners, and try to parse out some of these. Things that we know about how we behave and and how can we apply those to work and life. And so if you want to listen to any of the podcast channels, uh, we're out there, um, 350 plus episodes now. So I remember back at 60. So it's it's a fun, fun, fun journey. And and, uh, I I hope you're having as much fun with this one as I'm having with uh, with Behavioral Grooves.
0: No, I just love that, and and I think it's a great point you brought up. I, I focus on the process, focus on the journey, because you know, it, it's important to have goals. But if you don't take care of all the micro steps that happen between here and the goal, you're not going to get to the goal. And it's funny when I started out, I thought, oh, I'll do a few episodes, people liked it, um, and obviously that makes a difference. You're getting validation and social proof. But that's not the reason why I'm doing it. It's because I one, I enjoy it. I, I want to learn more, and I'm sure it's the same with you. And I do yeah. think when you're speaking to you know smart people like yourself, you're elevating your own game. You're learning more. Um, and and it's funny. So say if I had to interview, I don't know some you know, big top CEO. Maybe two years ago, I thought well, there's no way I can do it. But now I feel yeah. okay. I, I've done it sixty times, seventy times. I could probably yeah. just about just about wing it. So if, yeah. if uh, Tim Cook or any of the Apple leaders are listening, <laughs> I'm quite happy to interview.
1: Yeah, it's it's a you no. Know, I mean, you bring up a really good point. This uh, a um, so all of your listeners out there, you know, start a podcast. It's, it's a it's a great thing. Um, but do it for the process, not for the outcome, because neither of us, I think, are probably getting rich off of off of the podcast. yet. <laughs> so, um, but but you bring up a really good point. Is like I. Like the many of the, the pieces I talked to you about um, today came from the people we interviewed, you know, the insight Linda Babcock, you know, um, we interviewed Danny Kahneman, you know, so we we have um, all of these elements that I, I can bring in, not just to my life, but to work and to these things that I'm doing. And that's fascinating. And it's funny you talked about your start because Tim and I, when we started, we actually didn't start a podcast We started a meetup. We were doing these, you know, local gatherings once a month. And our second meetup, we had a a speaker, and we're going, Oh, you know, we're gonna get 25-35 people here. More people need to do this. Tim was a musician, he had recording equipment. I had just been on a radio interview. I'm going, let's do a podcast. We'll just do it once a month. It'll be really easy. We'll bring the speaker in before take an hour of our time before and maybe 15 minutes of processing at the end and we're done the podcast kind of we realized very quickly oh this is really fun and the people we want to interview they're not going to fly into minneapolis (laughs) to do this meetup because we're not paying them but we can call them and they're more than happy to do it electronically with the technology that we have and uh and then we just love it we just it's like my highlight of the week so yeah,
0: and I, and I think if you can have these sort of big dreams, you just never know how you can make them happen, even if you only get 60% or 70% of the way there. You've yeah. still tried, and that's still 70% of quite a lot, which creates a lot of results.
1: Oh, I, I fully agree. It's that the old adage, you know, shoot for the stars, you might reach the moon. You know, the, the idea that you can have these big dreams... But don't put all of your. And again, we know this from happiness research: is this idea that oh, when I get the job promotion, when I yeah. get this, right. then I will be happy, and that's not the case. Enjoy the journey, and then be willing. Kind of as you know, going way back to the beginning of this this podcast when we talked about you know, be willing to pivot, be willing to go and say. Here is, you know, I I started off my job, uh, you know, that first job, I was really excited about it going, this will be great, I can, you know, do this. And I realized very quickly that that wasn't it. And I was then willing to say, all right, you know, when the chance comes along, I am going to move and and shift. And so make sure you're doing that as well and not getting so um, hung up on, I have to achieve this one goal. And if I don't, then I'm a failure. No, I can get 70% of the way. And that now leads open this different path. And that path might be a much better outcome. It's like when I said, you know, I could see that long journey of staying employed. You know, there's this little dirt path going down. I couldn't, it went down in a ditch. I didn't see where it ended up after that. It, It just disappeared, but it ended up going up this really great mountain. It's been fantastic ever since. So
0: Oh, no, that's brilliant. And and one final thing, is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to who's helped you in your life or your, or, or your career?
1: So I, I talked about the mentor, right. That took me under his wing and it was Dr. Fred bomber, who uh, to this day we had dinner with him and his wife just a, uh, a month or two ago. And it's just a fantastic human being. And um, I would not be uh, where I am today without, without Fred. And I just, uh, again, there's a shout out. It goes out to Fred. So,
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be with us today.
1: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers. And subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.